Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth, everybody's favorite Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis podcast. It is the best one we have. It's the only one we have right now, and we're glad you're here with us. My name is Seth Patterson, and I am the Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater here at Plymouth. And this week, we are talking with Beth Hoffman Faith, as always, but again, specifically because she preached an excellent sermon yesterday, and we get to talk about it. We get to go in depth. Hi, Beth. Hi, Seth. Hello, everyone. I am Beth Hoffman Faith. I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship, and I had the honor of preaching yesterday, Sunday, December 6th. December 6th, yes. Um, I'm really keeping track of days better than that. And the scripture text for the sermon is the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the first eight verses. Interestingly, Mark does not have a birth story of Jesus. We rely on the Gospels of Luke and Matthew uh, for that familiar story. Mark starts off with John the Baptist, and the title of the sermon was Preparers of the Way. Also, interestingly, uh, Mark was the first of the four Gospels to be written down, is the best guess of these things. So it's also to add to your interesting that there's no birth story, is that the very first of the Gospels to be written, there's no birth story. And and so John was really the f- beginning of the beginnings mm. in terms of Gospels. Mark, you mean? What did I say? John. <laughs> I meant Mark. John was the last one. I didn't mean John. That's right. Mark, yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the sermon title. Um, you don't talk a lot about where this came from, but you mentioned a little bit to me before. Right. Why, why prepares of the way? Well, it's scriptural because it does say in uh, those first verses that God is sending a messenger who will prepare your way, speaking about John the Baptist. But there's a couple of resources that I go to pretty regularly when I'm preaching. And the one I consulted, uh, workingpreacher.com, it's a website I really recommend, had a very interesting commentary on this passage, but specifically lifted up this thought about who kind of goes before us to prepare the way. And the illustration that was given in this article that I read was about two women, Sarah Evans and Claudette Colvin. Are those names familiar to you, Seth? They are, now that you've said them. I've, <laughs> I've heard them. Both of them, in d- different times, refused to give up their seat on a bus. Yeah. Um, Sarah Evans actually was uh, in the military, and she's known as Private Evans. It was 1952. And she was returning home from her first military assignment, and she refused to move to the back of the bus. Three years later, a young black teenager named Claudette Colvin also did the same thing, refused to give up her seat to a white person. Both women were uh, then uh, punished. Evans was arrested. Colvin was also the subject of police intervention. And those are names we don't necessarily associate with the beginnings of the movement that led to the bus boycott because we always remember Rosa Parks. So this author of the article was was just lifting up, but you know, Rosa Parks may not have had the courage to do what she had done without others 
providing an example for her before that. And it just really made me think about John the Baptist and his role as a preparer of the way, because he knew that he was not the Messiah. His role in the story was to prepare people to receive the Messiah. And then, of course, just thinking about who are our personal preparers of the way and who are we preparing the way for. These are all the things that sort of ruminated in my brain as I was preparing to write this sermon, but I was especially encouraged by that illustration. Um, It's a lovely story. Yeah. I I guess I I don't, I hadn't heard about Sarah Evans, but I had heard about Claudette, especially because I believe that Rosa Parks was, it was a strategy and she was chosen to be the one to enact this piece of civil disobedience. And part of it was because of the unplanned works of Claudette Colvin and Sarah Evans. Right. They prepared the way with their bravery. Not that Rosa Parks was not brave, but it was a planned bravery. She, She knew what she was doing walking on the bus, I believe, although I could be wrong about that. But I think that's true, isn't it? I mean, you think even in the course of your own life, if you want to make this personal, you think about people's seemingly unintentional acts that have Mm -hmm. made the biggest impact on the choices that you then make. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I appreciate you opening that up. That's a that's a really great story and illustration and something that only podcast listeners will hear. Connected. That's right. I really thought about how to include that in the sermon because I think it would have made an excellent illustration. However, uh, on communion Sundays, we try to preach a little bit of a shorter sermon and there was some constraints on time and there were other things I wanted to explore within the sermon. So I left that illustration out, but I suspect it will make uh, good fodder for f- a future sermon. It also is illustrative of the fact that when we preach, we usually cull down a lot in order. Mm. What we say are not the only options of what could be said. Absolutely. And not just options globally, but the options that we wrestled with. That oh, yes. There's a lot of things that we sliced off for time or for clarity or whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But I-, I also want to know a bit about so you say at the beginning of the sermon, you explain your your great like of John the Baptist. And then, and then when you were done preaching, when I listened to the recording of it, you repeated that. And I would love to know a bit about this love affair with the Baptist. My love affair with John the Baptist? <laughs> yeah. I think that John the Baptist is a, a really great illustration about how God calls the most unexpected of people. Because... John the Baptist is described as this, just what I imagine is this sort of rugged individual camps out in the woods, eat, eats locusts and wild honey. You know, I imagine he's just sort of, everything's sort of wild about him. But he comes onto the scene and people flock to him, which has to imply that he, number one, had something to say. Yeah. Uh, maybe there was a charisma about him. I believe he absolutely knew what his purpose was, which was to prepare people for Jesus. And he had specific ways of doing that. I imagine him being kind of abrasive and really tell it like it is and uh, not caring at all what people thought about him because it wasn't about him. And to me, there's just something really appealing about that kind of character in the biblical story. And he's certainly not alone. There's a lot of unexpected heroes in the Bible. But John the Baptist is someone I need as part of my Advent preparation every year. Like I said in my sermon, 
he's predictable because he shows up every second Sunday of Advent in the lectionary text. We have this story because he's essential to the Christmas story. He's the preparer of the way. So as he's readying people through baptism, through a call of repentance, he just has a really prominent place for me in the story. And I have been in lots of churches who know nothing about John the Baptist because his story doesn't always get told either. There isn't a lot uh, about John the Baptist, and it's easy to slide into, you know, that kind of nativity scene diorama of what the Christmas story is, right? We know about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, but what about the, the sort of unexpected characters too? And over the last two millennia, we haven't cleaned him up in the same way we've cleaned up the rest of the story. Mm which I didn't think about till you were just talking. Like we still talk about him as this wild person who all we know about him really is what he wears and what he eats and what he does. So he wears furs and that's it. He, he lives out in the wild. He eats bugs and honey. And, and we haven't cleaned that up. Whereas all of a sudden the manger is sort of nice, clean hay. And, and it's a nice ride on a donkey and Bethlehem's not that far away. All the other parts of the story seem to have been shined up a bit, but John isn't. And my understanding is there's some theory, and I don't remember where it comes from, that John had epilepsy. Part of his power came in his falling down and convulsing whether that was the Holy Spirit or epilepsy or what. Well, and and his own birth was extraordinary in itself. I mean, his parents were Elizabeth and Zachariah, and they couldn't have children until old age, and suddenly uh, Elizabeth was pregnant. I mean, that was also a significant birth story because there's a relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. I mean, there's a lot of different roads we could go down here. Uh, But I also say that for me, John the Baptist is pastoral. There is a pastoral quality to John the Baptist because he is getting people ready with very specific instructions. You need to repent, and I'm going to baptize you with water, but you are really going to know baptism through the Holy Spirit with Jesus. And the first week of Advent is a very difficult one for me personally. It uh, includes the anniversary of my daughter's death, and I love Advent, but I don't truly love it every year until the second week because the first week my heart's just breaking all over again even after 22 years. And so for me, when John the Baptist arrives, that's also my invitation to move from a place of grieving and vulnerability into the promises that Advent presents. And so for me, that predictability of John the Baptist coming on the scene the second week of Advent is personally transforming for me. That's powerful. And yet you and you still preached. Well, Like anybody who's moving through a grief journey, sometimes you need to do that which feels familiar and predictable in order to sort of survive the day. So it was a good discipline for me to to have to preach last week and to prepare. I have to say I'm grateful that we recorded on Thursday. And so I did have a couple of days after I was done to be able to do what I needed to do to tend to my, my broken heart. But Advent moves on, whether we're ready for it or not. Especially those of us working in a church, it moves fast. uh, Can you talk a bit more or expand upon this concept of repent? Because that so often in 
modern, especially progressive churches, repentance is a really complicated term. It's one that we, it's loaded, maybe is the best way of saying it. And we shy away from these kinds of words sometimes, but you, you really went for it. When I read your, you read your script, repent is there in all caps, time after time after time. What <laughs> well, is it you hoped we get from that? You are right. It's not a word that progressive Christians like to use or I would say like to hear. The well, word we don't itself. do anything wrong, Beth. So. <laughs> the word carries some heavy baggage. <laughs> and I understand that because I, I have heard from people who grew up in churches where it was a shaming, repent, you know, because you're a shameful, sinful creature. You have to yeah. lay that out before God and because you're a miserable person. It's one of those and, battering words. Right. And I resisted the word for a long time too. But when I came to a better understanding of, you know, the word's deep meaning, which is to turn or to turn around, I mean, our whole perspective changes when we turn. We see things in a new way. We understand things differently. So to turn, I mean, for me, then repent means to turn towards God because of what we have done that turns us away from God. You know, my understanding of sin is it's that which separates us from the divine source. And yes, we sin all day long, probably. We're constantly doing things either intentionally or unintentionally that draw us away from God. But what happens when we are mindful about those things and therefore then turn around or turn towards God and sort of lay bare our, you know, our heavy weighty hearts? I, I believe that that where transformation can enter in. And I say it in my sermon, but the only way repentance works is if you actually do it. You can't just you, say it? <laughs> well, you can, but I don't think you'll can get much out of it. Can I just post it on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> I repent, I repent. And I'm done. And I'm done. I think there's an implied action with repentance. It's not just about saying, I'm sorry, which can be a very powerful act in itself when we are seeking forgiveness. But repent means to look at something differently it means there's a movement and an action. And it also means then to repair or to try to make right that which we are repenting for. And it's in that action, I think, that the greatest gift of repentance can happen. And it's when we do that, whatever that reconciliation work is, and it will look differently based on what it is we're repenting, that then we can let go. Once we've done that, then we can let go of whatever heaviness we're feeling from whatever it is we're asking forgiveness for. It's multi-layered. Yeah. It's a powerful word when I think like you did, put in a way that is accessible and, and reminds us of something as opposed to beats us over the head, as you said, is often done. I used repentance a lot in a sermon about two years ago that began a, a big conversation at Plymouth, a long one. And I described it as not just saying, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry what can I do to make it better? Because mm. once you ask that question, you're back into relationship and you put the power back into their hands and they will add whatever it is might be something you don't want to do. It opens you up to that possibility of, of reparation and repair that you didn't even know because the request will come back to you. I need you to do this. Yes. I would guess that that question would surprise the receiver. What can I do to make it better? To me, that's a question that may that may stump the other, but it's also a great gift. And that's you're right. It enters one back into relationship. That's how we're teaching our daughter to say, I'm sorry, is to follow it with what can I do to make it better, especially mm -hmm. for larger things. And when she says it to me, even though I'm the one teaching this, I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but I but then it puts me in a place where I really have to think about the relationship in a new way and and mm. in a different way. It's it's a lovely paradigm and repentance is powerful. We are almost out of time and I do want to what I'm going to take from this sermon beyond what we've talked about. Had we not just talked about the repentance piece, that's what I would have said I'm taking from it. But the other thing that I really found valuable was this conversation that you brought up around how we are the receivers of action that brought us to where we are now. Mm -hmm. And what we do now will be preparing others in the future. And that I personally find very powerful, the idea that we have received a certain sets of things from our ancestors, but we also have descendants. And so I've found myself saying, may we be the descendants that our ancestors wanted us to be, and may we become the ancestors that our descendants need us to be, that we are in the middle of this stream of choices and humanity. And you you really illuminated that again. Well, and, and that the way you just described that is really powerful. And I, I think it's true. If we were just a little bit more intentional in the path we were preparing for another or mindful, maybe intentional is not the right word, but mindful of the path that we, we were laying in place, the trail that we're blazing for another person to walk. How would that change or alter our actions and our vision and our relationship, both with those who have come before us and those who will follow us? Yeah, I, I just believe we are more influential and the potential for change and possibility rests within each one of us. And Advent is a perfect season to really contemplate what that means for us and how we live into it because we are a preparer of the way and we are benefiting from others who have gone before us. Absolutely. This was helpful because I'm preaching on Sunday and I need to write something and this is a great, I'm going to jump off of what you did, I think, somehow. Excellent. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth. I am Seth and I'm here with Beth and we thank you for your time. We thank Mark Copenhaver for his editing and Laura Caviani for her music. Be well, all. Blessings on your Advent way, everyone. Thank you.